You're listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Unlimited, with a new weekly topic to give you a clear vision of God and to start living an unlimited life. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. There are only two limiting factors in your life, and if you don't understand what they are, you won't be able to filter things through the world, things that come your way at the workplace, things that come your way in your family. And if you're like me, and I'm like you, and I think we are alike, we're a lot alike, we deal with the same issues, you have come to realize that oftentimes your own worst enemy has taken up residence between your two ears. If you're not careful, you can be outdone, outwitted by nobody other than yourself. Oftentimes in the church, we blame the devil for things. We say that the devil is influencing me or it's spiritual warfare. You know, part of spiritual warfare is warfare with the flesh, warfare with your own mind, or what I refer to as stinking thinking. You need to be aware of stinking thinking because it will limit you every single time in regard to your potential, your potential with God and honoring him, your potential in your relationships with people, your potential in all of life. There are only two limiting factors in your life. You should write them down. You should understand them. And when you understand them, you'll see life in an entirely different light. The first limiting factor is God. God is the ultimate one who makes the determination about what you can and cannot do, what you can and cannot achieve. It's up to God. And I don't think anybody in their right mind would argue with that. God is the only ultimate one who can limit what you can do, where you can go, how high you can fly, and how deep you can travel, how far you can go. Second limiting factor is none other than yourself. So you need to be very careful that you don't limit what God hasn't. And I don't know about you, but I know about myself, and I'm going to be honest enough to share about myself with the hope that maybe it will help you. Oftentimes, I limit what God has not. Oftentimes, I put God in a box that I created And I give God a hard time getting out of that box for no other reason than stinking thinking, something that I believe about myself, something that I believe about another person, something that I believe about a situation, and ultimately, here's the big tragedy, what I believe about God. You see, what you believe about God is the number one single most important thing about you. It determines everything in your life, what you believe about God, the number one single most important thing about you. And with it, right on the heels, they travel together. What you believe about yourself. What you believe about God and what you believe about yourself in relationship to God determines everything about you. In fact, Your entire week, this past week, when you look back over your week, everything you did, every decision you made, every interaction you had, every response you had to a situation or an individual, everything about you was determined by, guess what? Your view of God and your view of yourself. Every single 
decision you made was determined by your opinion of God, your perspective about God, and your opinion and perspective about yourself. Every single one. There's not one decision you made. There's not one decision you will ever make that is influenced more profoundly than those two factors. So I want to ask this question. I'd like you to ask yourself this question. Is there any way that you have limited God? Is there any way that you have limited yourself? Because if you limit God or you limit yourself, if you limit God and you limit yourself, you directly impact how far you will go in life, how high you will soar, whether or not you even get your plane off the tarmac, and how deep you will dive. What you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. What you believe about yourself, right on the heels of that, the second most important thing. What you believe about God and what you believe about yourself determine everything about you. Every decision you will ever make from this point forward will be directly, not indirectly, it will be directly impacted by how you view God and how you view yourself. So I want to suggest to you, you better get those two things straightened out. And you better get them straightened out as soon as possible. Parents with children, especially if they're young, you better get what you believe about God straightened out as quickly as possible. You better get what you believe about yourself and what you believe about your spouse and what you believe about your fellow human being. You better get that straightened out as quickly as possible because if you don't, you're going to create some baggage for your children. And your children are going to believe things about God. They're going to believe things about themselves. Come on, many of us are adult children. And you believe things about God and you believe things about yourself for no other reason than that's what your parents taught you. Not in the formal classroom of life, but in the informal classroom around the dining table. In the informal classroom of what happens when somebody comes home from work. What happens when somebody leaves in the morning for work. What happens when there's a conflict. Haven't you noticed that life is what happens when we're making other plans? When there's conflict, how is that conflict resolved? Anger itself is not an issue. It's what we do with the anger that becomes an issue. Now, when I said adult children, some of you understand what I'm talking about. Others of you don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm going to take some pictures, and I'm going to show you someday, because I drove up from Florida after my father passed away with a van load full of my father's stuff. And on the passenger seat next to me was the container holding my father's ashes. He was cremated. That was about the smallest package in the whole van. The whole van was filled with my father's belongings. Not lifetime-long belongings, not things that he accumulated across the course of his life, but with planes, trains, and automobiles. My father had a collection of planes, trains, and automobiles, model planes, model trains, and model automobiles that he accumulated not in the course of his childhood, but in the course of his adulthood. And many of them, most of them, are not even opened boxes. They are sealed boxes, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, sitting in my basement, taking up the majority of space in my basement. Why do I have them in my basement? Because they were my father's, and they meant something to him, so therefore, they must mean something to me. They don't. 
My father was a prime example of an adult child trying to make right what had gone wrong in his childhood as an adult. And so he accumulated another plane, another train, another automobile, maybe to try to console some void in his life for the absence of what he didn't get as a child. So here he is in his 60s and his 70s, buying stuff that's really appropriate for six and seven-year-olds. See, my father had a faulty view of God. He had a faulty view of himself. He was stuck in the past. He could never enjoy the present, and that affected his entire future. And my father, he is now experiencing glory after glory in the presence of Jesus. He came to know Christ nine days before he passed away. So if by some miraculous set of circumstances we were able to transport my father back here in front of us and he was able to talk to us for just a few minutes, he wouldn't be upset with what I'm sharing. He'd say, listen to my son, he's absolutely right. I was an adult child because I had a faulty view of God, a faulty view of who I was, and it affected my entire life. It affected my relationship with my wife. It affected my relationship with my children. It affected my relationships with everybody else in the course of my life. Everything was affected. Every decision I made was directly impacted by my view of God and my view of myself. So I highly suggest, I really recommend that you get this understanding of who God is correct as quickly as possible. I highly recommend that you get this understanding of who you are in relationship to God straightened out as quickly as possible. Because until you do, you're wasting precious time. And one of these days, you're going to realize that there is no more time. Your time is up. And I'll never forget my father saying when I was in the hospital room with him down in Florida and those last few days of his life and he would shake his head and we would make trips between the hospital and back to my uncle's house where he was staying when he wasn't in the hospital. And whether it was at home or whether it was in the hospital, my father was continually saying, watch out, Michael. Life goes by too, four-letter word, fast. Too fast. And the older I get, the quicker time seems to pass. This is why it's so important for you to settle this issue of who is God and who are you in relationship to him. Because what you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. And what you believe about yourself, right on the heels of that, the second most important thing about you, what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself will impact, it has been already impacting, Every decision you've been making, every decision you've been making, every decision you've been making, you made a decision to marry who you married based on your view of God and based on your view of yourself. You made a decision on your career based on your view of God and based on your view of yourself. How you handle the money that God gives you is based on your view of God and based on your view of yourself. How you use the time that you have. Your time is your life and your life is your time. All of that directly impacted by your view of God and your view of yourself. There's no area of life that is not directly, not indirectly, directly impacted by your view of God and your view of yourself. So the sooner you get those things right, the sooner you get those things straightened out, the sooner you think rightly about God and rightly about yourself, The deeper you'll be able to go in your relationships, the deeper you'll be able to go in your relationship with God, the higher you'll be able to soar in your relationships with your relationship with God, the further you'll be able to travel. It'll strengthen your marriage. It'll strengthen your parenting. It'll strengthen your being a child with parents. It'll strengthen you being a coworker or a boss, an employee. It'll strengthen every area of your life. It'll increase your effectiveness in being a positive witness for Jesus. 
so that people can see that you're a witness for Jesus, whether or not you have to tell him verbally that you're a witness for Jesus? There's no area of your life that's more important than what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. So today we have an opportunity. In the remaining moments, we're going to do a crash course here. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. In understanding the life of a man who lived without limits, even though there were limiting circumstances in his life, he didn't give a flying rip. This guy was unstoppable. No matter what happened to him, no matter what the world threw at him, no matter what the devil threw at him, there was nothing stopping the Apostle Paul. And you might say to yourself, well, I'm not an apostle. Well, you're missing the whole point. Stop looking at the Bible as a book of history. Stop looking at the Bible as a book of exceptions. It's a book of examples. The whole Bible. Now, it is a book of history, but if you limit it to history, you're missing out in the present, and you're going to affect your whole future. Turn with me to the book of Philippians in chapter 1. When we look at Paul, who had a traveling companion with him, but only sporadically because Paul at this point is under house arrest. He's been chained. Paul has been chained and incapable, humanly speaking, of fulfilling what God called him to do. In Philippians chapter 1, we're only going to look at two verses here, and you're going to understand by the time we're done, my goodness, there's so much more in the Bible than I could even imagine. How can we look at just two verses of Scripture and realize that we need a couple more hours to just look at those two verses? It's one thing for me to preach from God's Word. It's another thing for me to show you how to study God's Word when God wants to preach to you any and every time you open it up. That's what I want to do. I want to give you an appreciation for God's word just through two verses of scripture. The book of Philippians, which has been referred to as a joy manual, a how to be happy regardless of your circumstances handbook. And it was written by Paul in the most unlikely of circumstances while he was under house arrest in chains. He refers to these chains later on in the book. And what I want you to understand is what's absolutely amazing about this is Paul's perspective. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By this time, you'd think this guy would be bitter. You'd think that he'd be defeated. You'd think that he'd be upset because God had called him 18 years ago, 18 years earlier, God had given him vision after vision after vision. In fact, you can read about it on your own, write it down, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul talks about exceedingly great visions. He had images of God, revelations of God, that he was able to see things that were so amazing, so life-changing, that he was not permitted to write them down in detail. But here he is, 18 years after the fact, and those visions that he had of God are still moving him forward. They're propelling him forward. I don't know how you would feel, but I know how I would feel. In fact, I'm just like you, you're just like me. We get off on a good course. We feel like God has set us in a direction. We feel like God has affirmed us. He's confirmed us. He's appointed us. He's anointed us. He's led us. He's directed us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. That lasts for about five minutes. We're all motivated. We're all fired up and we're encouraged. And then what happens is we get bad news. We get a bad health diagnosis, cancer survivor. You get hit and your car gets totaled. Got T-boned before. You have an issue where you make all these amazing vows on your wedding day, and then after the years pass, you say, wait a second, what happened to those amazing vows? 
the ones that I made and the ones that I received. That this is not living up to what I promised or what was promised to me. And then you have children and your children may not take a course that you had hoped that they would take. You may end up in a career or a job choice that you didn't think that you would have. All kinds of things can happen to you where you begin to look at the circumstances and you know what you start doing? You start living your life based on what's happening to you, not based on who has revealed himself to you. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Many of us are in that place. What if Paul was in that place? (laughs) I love the Apostle Paul, and you should too, because he's just like you, and he's just like me. When we have a vision of Jesus, one real revelation from Jesus, a picture of Jesus, can set everything in your life in motion. It can take care of that stinking thinking. It can help you navigate through the unexpected circumstances in life because they're going to happen. You might be in them right now. If you haven't experienced one recently, and if you're not experiencing it now, buckle up because you're going to in the not-too-distant future. It's going to happen. The issue is not whether or not difficulty will come. The issue is how are you going to navigate through the difficulty when it comes? That's the issue. Paul had exceedingly great revelations from God himself and a clear commission to be an apostle, not just somebody who is saved by Jesus, but to be an apostle, to teach doctrine. Listen, you leader of the Pharisees, that's what Paul was before he got saved on his way to Damascus. Not only are you going to be born again and saved by Jesus, but I'm going to, through you, I'm going to make you one of the principal teachers of the New Testament, this new religion, quote-unquote, called Christianity. And Paul is the one who writes the majority of the books. No other individual writer writes as many books as the Apostle Paul. How would you feel if God had revealed himself to you, showed you, told you that you are favored and commissioned and anointed and appointed, that he was going to, through you, change the world? You might be excited as long as you had the freedom to change the world. But as soon as somebody puts some shackles on you, as soon as you end up in a Roman prison, unable to freely travel and to freely preach and to do what God had called you to do, and you might have a question or two for God. You might say, wait wait a second. I'm all for being faithful to you. I'm all for honoring you. I'm all for being on fire for you but you got to help me out here because I'm not going to be very much good if I get a bad health diagnosis or if I don't make the money that I'd like to make to be able to take care of putting food on the table or putting my children through college or school. I might not be very much good if my spouse cheats on me. That might cause me to raise a fist at you and ask you or maybe accuse you of doing something that is not supposed to happen to me. That was for somebody else, but not for me. When we really put ourselves in the shoes of the Apostle Paul, we spent a good chunk of time looking at the book of Acts, which is really the launching of the Apostle Paul's ministry. And you can look at Paul's ministry, you could take a crash course and look at chapters 25, 26, 27, and 28. It's the backstory for how Paul ends up in a Roman prison, most likely, writing this book, to the Philippians, the book of Philippians that we read about, that we're looking at, that we're starting to look at right now. It's amazing. 
See, in Acts chapter 25, Paul makes an appeal to Caesar. He says, listen, you want to accuse me? The Jews want to accuse me? Everybody wants to accuse me? I make my appeal to the Roman leader. And they say, okay, you made your appeal to Rome, then to Rome you will go. And that leads to Paul ending up in a shipwreck. It leads to Paul picking up some wood to put it into a fire, and he gets bitten by a viper, a poisonous viper, and he shakes it off, and they're all watching to see what's going to happen. Nothing happens to him. Miraculously protected. See, what can happen is in the course of life, you can put words in God's mouth that he never uttered. Some of you understand what I just said. Others of you don't quite understand. You can put words in God's mouth that things were supposed to happen, and he never told you that they were supposed to happen that way. God didn't tell Paul, listen, to be an apostle, and you're going to write all these scriptures, you're going to write things on equal footing with the Old Testament, and that means it's going to be easy-cheesy for you from now on, that you're going to be somebody who doesn't endure any kind of difficulty or hardship. It's the exact opposite. I'm going to show this guy how much he has to suffer for my name. And you can read about the revelations of the Apostle Paul, the experiences that he had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where you can read about all the hardships that he had in other parts of Scripture, all the difficulties that he had. But there is something about when Paul had his vision of Jesus, it helped him navigate through all the difficulties. And Paul understood. He didn't put words in God's mouth. He understood that that's arrogance, that's not humility. Don't get ahead of God, don't lag behind. Let him lead and let him direct. And here's what we need to understand from the Apostle Paul. It did not matter. It didn't matter whether he was in prison or whether he was free, whether he had money or whether he was in poverty, whether he was good looking or not so good looking, whether he was married or whether he was single. It didn't matter whether he was in sickness or whether he was in health. It didn't matter what happened to this guy. He knew that Jesus was real and that Jesus was alive. Jesus had revealed himself to him and he knew that Jesus had called him. And once God puts a calling on your life, you don't have to be called to be a pastor. You don't have to be called to be an evangelist or the next Billy Graham or anything like that, next Mother Teresa. But once God puts his hand on you and saves you and rescues you, you need to be in his service for his good and for his glory. Whether you're well-known or whether nobody knows your name. Once God reaches his hand out and rescues you and saves you and gives you a new life, that's the beginning of a new life where everything is focused on Jesus. You might say to yourself, well, I never had exceedingly great revelations. I wish I had an exceedingly great revelation. Well, then pick up your Bible and start reading it. A steady diet, a daily digestion of God's word is how you get a vision of God that will help you navigate through any and every circumstance you're facing. Paul had it through divine revelation. You can have it through divine dissemination. Paul writing a letter while he was under house arrest, giving it to Timothy, giving it to Epaphroditus, giving it to others who had come to see him. Paul couldn't get out of being under house arrest, but there's nobody who could contain the movement of God's spirit. Be careful you don't limit what God hasn't limited your circumstances are no limitation for you if your dedication is for God's glory. If you are dedicated to give God glory, listen, if Paul could continue to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to his calling, faithful to his mission while under house arrest in a counterintuitive way, there's nothing stopping you except what you might believe between your own two ears from being faithful to God regardless of your circumstances. Nothing. 
This is why I say only two limiting factors in your life. And now you're coming to recognize, you know what? This guy's not the knucklehead I thought he was. I actually think that there's some truth to what he's saying. There are only two limiting factors on me. What I believe about God, the limiting factors that he might have put on me. Can't change what God hasn't. But then the one that I really have to be concerned about are the limitations that I put on myself. People say, don't worry, God's got it in control. I'm not concerned about God. I'm concerned about myself. People say, don't worry, God's got it in control. I'm not concerned about God. He's always, he never shows up late. He's always on time, always delivers, says what he means, means what he says, delivers what he promises. I'm not concerned about God. It's his people. It's people. We are the ones who limit God. And I'll say this lovingly, we should be much further along as a church than we are now in terms of our national impact. Should be much further along. We need to not just swing for the fence. We need to hit that ball out of the park in terms of our regional and our national and our international impact. You know, the only reason why we're not further along where we should be is because we put God in a box. We think, well, God can't do that here in the snack capital of the USA. I could down another Smitty's. I could have a bag of potato chips. None of those commercial brands. We want the local brands. But God couldn't really use a, a farming community to change the industrial communities of this nation, to impact Silicon Valley. God couldn't use us here on the East Coast to impact the West Coast, could he? After all, that's for other people. Other people are the ones that God uses. Well, you know what? There's some other people somewhere who actually are taking God up at his word and saying, not other people, this people right here. I think it's amazing that Paul, in the midst of all this, look at how he identifies himself. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He's writing to the Philippians, and how does he identify himself? His identity determined his whole activity. He saw himself as a servant. He doesn't say an apostle of Jesus Christ. He identifies himself as a servant. After all this time, after all these difficulties, after all this hardship, when all the smoke had cleared, when all the dust had settled, Paul understood that in the eternal scheme of things, 18 years after his amazingly great, surpassingly great visions from God, he was able to boil it down into a word. I am nothing more than a servant. That's what I am. Now, if that was good enough for Paul, that he saw himself as a servant of God and a servant of people, it's certainly good enough for you and for me. But it's the degree to which Paul saw himself as a servant that made all the difference in the world. It's the degree to which you see yourself as a servant that makes all the difference in the world. To what degree do you see yourself as a servant of God? To what degree do you see yourself as a servant of people? Be careful that we don't just throw around words and say, yeah, I'm a servant. Yeah, that's great. I'll write that down. I'm a servant. You go have lunch. I'm a servant. That's amazing. And then 15 minutes later, you want to be served? <laughs> Am I the only one who identifies with that? See, Paul had such an amazing understanding of who God was, it impacted the daily ins and outs of how he understood people. Because really, when you stop and think about it, there's what you think about yourself, there's what other people think about you, and then there's what God knows about you. There's no fourth option. What you think about yourself, what other people think about you, and then what God knows about you. That's the truth. Paul was able to just boil it all down at the end of it all. Doesn't see himself. I'm an amazing servant. I exist to glorify God. I minister to glorify God. And if I'm glorifying God, if I'm honoring God, you know what? I will actually help people. I will actually enable people. Your identity determines your activity. 
This is one of the things that helped Paul endure being under house arrest, chained, when he could have otherwise been out and about. Let's face it, we might be able to understand it this way. If you're going to be planting churches, or if you're going to be starting churches and be part of a worldwide movement that's going to change the world, you want to have as much freedom as possible. You can chain up the individual, but you can't chain the Holy Spirit. Unless you limit God. And so Paul didn't care that he was in chains. It didn't matter to him what happened to him. What mattered was Jesus Christ. And there was nothing that the circumstances he faced that could deter him from being faithful to the calling that God put on his life. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has put a calling on your life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can have surpassingly great revelations from God if only you are willing to pick up the Bible and to let the Bible speak to you. Because whenever you pick up the Bible, it's not like you're reading a book. You are also spending time with the author of the book. Not just the human author, but the divine author writing through the human vessel. You can have a personal revelation from God, personal word from God as often as you want, and it's so desperately needed today. So desperately needed today. Where so many people have a vision that's other than God's vision for their life. It's a vision that's other than God's vision for their family, and I even go so far as to say it's a vision other than God's vision for their church. The enemy of the best, remember, is often the good. The enemy of God's good is often man's best. God doesn't need your best effort or my best effort if it's not good in regard to what he called you to do. It's amazing that nothing could stop the Apostle Paul. He was absolutely unlimited man, and you can be too. You can be unlimited as a man, as a woman, as a boy, as a girl, no matter how old you are, how young you are, whether you have good looks or maybe you came up short in that area, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that matters other than the truth that God knows about himself and about you. So get going and be the servant that you will be, that you can be, that only you can be, and that only you will be. If you will let a clear understanding of who God is and who you are in relationship to him be what catapults you and moves you forward. There ain't nothing. There's absolutely nothing that you can face in your life that is bigger than God. There's nothing bigger in your life that can deter you from being faithful to God than your own thoughts about what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. I highly encourage that sometime today, certainly sometime throughout this week, sit down and write out what are the falsehoods that you have embraced about God and what are the falsehoods you've embraced about yourself and let the word of God straighten out what you might have allowed to become crooked. Because if you will get serious about what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself, you, my friend, will become one of the most serious servants of the living and true God that this world has ever seen. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? 
click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.